my belief is that trauma is at the core of most mental illness. And so Mm -hmm. when we could heal these attachment wounds, we can start to heal other things that present as mental illness. What's up, babe? Welcome to Boldly Courageous, a podcast created for you, the ambitious woman who is ready to take action and step fully into the life you've always dreamed of. I'm your host, Melissa Martin, and each week I will be your virtual wingwoman as you gain the tools and confidence to face your fears head on. The time is now, and this is your permission slip to live your boldly courageous life. Are you ready, babe? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Boldly Courageous Podcast. And today I have a very special guest and a very special episode. I mean, all of my guests are special, but this woman that I'm sharing with you today has been such a godsend and earth angel in my life and has been one of the women that has truly helped me realize and recognize worth, what my values are and transition through some of the most challenging moments of my life. My guest today is Melissa Lapidus, and we met in the most divinely beautiful way. I was in Florida on a girl's trip with my business partner and navigating through some really heavy stuff with my marriage and had dinner plans with a fellow girlfriend of ours who was supposed to bring a friend with her. And that friend ended up not being able to come. So she invited Melissa instead. Now this woman, Melissa had no idea who I was, no idea about what I was navigating through. And throughout our conversations at dinner, I felt like God or the universe or whatever you believe in was literally speaking through her to me as she started to talk about the type of work that she did around trauma and helping women to embody their feminine and feel safe in their body and navigate relationships. And all of the stories that she was sharing spoke to me so deeply that I burst out in tears at the dinner table and I had to get up and excuse myself. I felt so embarrassed because she had no idea what I was navigating through or that the words that she was sharing were the words that I needed to hear. And a few days later, I ended up hiring her as my coach to help me navigate through some really challenging stuff. And so if you've heard my story or if you've listened to one of the podcast episodes I shared about transitioning out of my marriage in the end of 2019, Melissa was one of the women who helped support me on getting super clear on what my values were, what my non-negotiables were in relationship, understanding my trauma responses and how to create real safety within my body. So I have worked with her. She's transformed my life and I've referred her to many, many people in my life as well. So I knew that I wanted to have her on the podcast. And in this episode, we talk all about the different types of trauma responses that you can experience in your life and why it's important to understand what these are. We talk about different attachment styles that people form because of their trauma bonds and how this shows up in different relationships. And we dive into how we start to attract different types of relationships in our life, not just romantically, but also professionally and why it's so important as a business professional, if you are in the coaching industry or if you're in network marketing, to have an awareness of these types of things, because if you don't, you can actually perpetuate the problem. And we all want to be here to 
raise the consciousness of the planet to shine our light to help people but if we don't have an awareness of our own operating systems we can sometimes cause more damage than good so this episode is very powerful it's going to give you a lot of insight into the way that you show up in life and relationships and then melissa shares um, her safe space program that if you are interested in connecting a little bit more deeply with her you can feel welcome to explore that so melissa lapidus is an integrative psychotherapist and trauma specialist she trains coaches leaders and healers to understand and work with the nuances of trauma as someone who overcame so much trauma herself she feels incredibly passionate about supporting people to handle trauma safely. She runs her safe space facilitation course a few times a year. And if you want more information on that, you can listen into the episode or you can check out the show notes. So with that being said, let's dive into my conversation with Melissa. Okay, Melissa, we literally could have just recorded, pressed record as we were catching up. And what I love about you is every time we talk, literally, I feel so seen, I feel safe, I feel held. And, you know, throughout our relationship and the way that we've met, you've always represented like this true embodiment of being in divine feminine and what it looks like to own that space from a like pure embodied, healthy, safe space. So thank you for always being such a beautiful mirror for me and for the work that you do. I'm so grateful for you being here. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me. And that's what I hope to bring is like safety and help people see themselves in the way that I can sit and see you. So thank you. You're very welcome. And what is one boldly courageous thing you've done recently? Oh, well, I was going to move to Mexico and that felt boldly courageous. And then the last second, like I found this house. So pivoting in that way, I, I, like I'm just so proud of myself for really allowing myself to accept the, the direction that the universe is giving me now instead of forcing my will and just being open. Like I feel like I'm, that's so courageous is to open on that level and fully surrender into where you're being nudged versus where you are set on going, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like what comes up for me when I hear that is fear. Like, how do I know that that's the right answer? And this mm -hmm. is some stuff that you and I have worked through a lot of like really deep rooted trust within yourself. So how do you find that? Like, how do you even get to that place where the nudge makes more sense and has the higher priority than quote unquote logic? Yeah, it's when you can truly get out of your mind and get into a place of pure presence. You can't do it when there's any part of you that's left going into logic. And so when you can truly clear the thoughts away and get into your embodiment, like in your body, that's your connection to receiving instead of having to go and do and figure out. And so when you can sit in that seat fully of observation and embodiment, like, you know, there's nothing to figure out. It's like, you know, which direction you're going, you don't have to make it happen. Hmm. I think a lot of times I've had this experience, like recently, multiple times where you get the nudge, and then all of a sudden, all of these, but what ifs come up. And this is something that's super present for me right now, especially when it comes to love and relationships, right? Of 
this fear around abandonment or getting the opposite of what you think you want, right? So for example, let's say the nudge is, um, I need to break up with this person because they're not treating me well. And then logic comes in. We can call it logic that says, but you're going to be alone and you're never going to find anybody else. And you can tolerate this. And maybe if you do this, this, and this, this person will love you. Right. So how do you navigate through that when the nudge is being met with this fear of abandonment or fear of loss or fear of rejection or just fear and of safety? Like, I know these are all, we're going to talk about trauma and all of this is like a experience of trauma. So where, how do you even get to that place of trust without that mind drama going on? It's, it's reconnecting to yourself and all those pieces that have been fragmented because of the trauma that you've had relationally. And everybody has that relational and attachment wounding, right? Because we're all born into families and there's no family that's perfect. Like, um, you know, my background's in family therapy and we, you know, don't really understand when we look at what healthy relationships and systems are that every family has its dysfunction, right? And so it's then looking at the piece that you played in that dysfunctional system and allowing yourself to go back and heal and reattach to that part of you that had to chameleon or shapeshift into who you were needed to be in order Mm -hmm. to be loved and accepted versus who you really are. And so what happens when we disconnect to become that piece that's needed of us, we lose the attachment to our self and our mm-hmm. truth and our, our own inner knowingness, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to go back and, and look at these pieces of ourselves that have been fragmented and cut off and disassociated from and start to bring them back in order to become more whole and to have a clearer lens to look through. Because if you imagine a lens with all these broken pieces. And when you start to bring them back, you could see more holistically, you could see through the bigger picture, right? And then it's like, you don't have to go from that place of survival. Cause like when you said, and then that fear comes in, like, am I gonna, that's survival, that's trauma. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh my God, I'm not gonna survive, right? So you're fishing to keep yourself safe instead of going inside and practicing safety as an embodiment. Mm -hmm. It's a feeling that's always here and always available. And the way that we return to safety in ourself is by bringing back those pieces. And the way we bring back those pieces is to see what they are and then start to validate and mirror them Mm -hmm. because that's what we didn't get as children. And that's what we need to have healthy, secure attachment. Mm. Oh, this is so good. And I feel like even just that, like being willing to look at the thing, you know, and it's almost like the monster under the bed. I think we, so many people, myself included operate as high performers. And I know I had this story or belief that if I actually created space to look at those things, my life would fall apart. Like I wouldn't be able to perform in my business. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to make money. I wouldn't be able to show up as like a high performer, a type hustle person. Right. And so I would stay in these like trauma loops of just like, just ignore it, just ignore it. You don't have time. You don't have space. And I literally remember like years ago, like 
college being like, mm, I know I have a lot of shit that I need to deal with with my dad, but I don't have time for it now. So I'll just do it later. Like I had the awareness then for that person. That's like, okay, I know that I have these wounds. Like I know I have stuff. My relationships are not great. You know, I'm constantly people pleasing or, and they're at least having an awareness of it. But like, how do you create an environment that gives you the time and the space and the energy to actually go into these places without your whole life falling apart? Like practically. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I laughed at you because, you know, I work with mostly high performing women and it's the, it's the fear that's driven all of them into being high performers, right? Mm. It's that it, they're all in flight, right? Mm. So there's mm -hmm. different trauma responses. And I always say, you bitches got the better one, right? Because <laughs> that wasn't mine when I was a kid. I was like frozen, right? I was in freeze. And all the people who go into flight are usually like high performing people. They're running away from what they know they need to face, like you said, on some level. And they're like, you know, they think that success is in wherever they're running to, right? But oftentimes they get, you know, to a certain place and they realize, oh, wait, I'm still, even though I've created all this, there's still, but all this stuff is still there. Like I couldn't actually run away from it, right? And so it's about number one, like you said, noticing, like there is stuff there, right? And it's about releasing the fear of my life is going to fall apart, right? This is like such a common myth for the flight person, for the person who goes towards flight. The, the myth is always my life's going to fall apart if I start to look at this stuff. And here's what I always say, Melissa. It's like, if you go into that stuff and you don't know how to work with it, yeah, your life's going to fall apart because you're going to get stuck in the deep end. If you go into that stuff and you know how to start processing it through in a way that's safe, that's healthy, that's integrated, then you start to allow yourself to grow in a different way that actually feels supportive and nourishing. So that flight, wh whatever you were going towards that you're chasing, it's here in the healing that it really is. And so your life doesn't fall apart. Your life gets richer. Your life moves in a different direction. Your growth starts happening multidimensionally instead of one way. And mm. that's the richness that I think a lot of, you know, high performers actually seek once they get to a certain level and realize, uh-oh, like I hit a wall, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. this doesn't feel good anymore. There's other areas, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important to, to mention that, like what you just said, if you don't have the tools or you're going into the deep end and you don't know how to swim, it's so important to ask for help and to seek the tools. And, uh, you know, I know when I was on my journey, a lot of it was intuition and just trusting like what would be the logical next step. And it started with books and podcasts on trauma. And then it started with, okay, what would get me out of my head into my body? And that was yoga. And so some sort of like somatic practice, like yoga could be, maybe you could classify that as a somatic practice. And then it was hiring an expert and um, actually getting a somatic therapist and getting, you know, the tools to deal with trauma. And I want to talk about the different types of trauma. Cause you, you mentioned, you know, there's different types of, of trauma responses. I think it's really important to 
to share that. And also to recognize that trauma is not something that we can compare, right? Everybody has their own unique experience. And I remember for me, when I was first navigating through my own trauma, that I was diminishing my experience because I was like, well, it wasn't that bad compared to so-and-so. And I've learned through this process of working with you and other practitioners that like your experience gets to be your own, no matter how much you want to quote unquote, minimize it comparatively speaking to somebody else, it still has an impact. Right. So could you talk a little bit about the different types of, you know, trauma responses that people experience? Yeah, absolutely. And just reflecting back what you said, you can't compare your trauma. Like there's, you know, somebody is always going to have it worse. Somebody's always going to have it better, but we each have our own. And that's all that we could be responsible for is taking care of our own. And ours is as bad to us as it is to us, right? Or uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to us as it is to us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we just have to own what ours is and do focus on that. And as far as the trauma responses go, so first let me explain that a trauma response is what happens when we are in fear of our survival. And so on some level, And this happens very often relationally, like we talked about, we fear that we're not going to be loved and accepted by our family. Everybody has this trauma on some level. And so in order to be loved and accepted, we go into a trauma response, which means that we merge right into something where we don't have to feel like that abandonment fear come up. And so they recognize now four main trauma responses. It used to be three. And recently they just added a new one on. And when I say they, I mean like the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual for therapists and psychologists. They actually just started recognizing trauma, like not that many years ago, first of all, being a condition. And now they're starting to explore it more. And my belief is that trauma is at the core of most mental illness. And so Mm -hmm. when we could heal these attachment wounds, we can start to heal other things that present as mental illness. So the four main trauma responses are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And so flight is when you take off, right? Things are so hard. Like you're that person that will run away. And like I said, this one doesn't always look bad. This could mean running away and starting a multi-million dollar business, but you're running, right? <laughs> High performers, often in flight, often in flight. Yeah. Then we have freeze. That's like the deer in headlights. It's like something happens that threatens your survival and you just kind of stand there frozen, right? You don't know what to do. Then there's fight. We see this like with everything that happened with coronavirus, right? Something threatens people's survival. And then next thing you know, the whole world is fighting, right? People are fighting for toilet paper. There's racial fights. Everybody's their trauma responses fight, right? So that's how they deal with their survival fear. And now the last one that's recognized is fawning and fawning is people pleasing. It's like perfectionism, Mm. wanting to be perfect, right? And so we could have a mix of these. It doesn't mean like you're just one. A lot of people can relate to all of them. But it's important to start noticing when you're doing these things, because right there are those points that you're leaving yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I relate with the fawning and the flight. I'm like, peace out, I'm out, and everything needs to look perfect. And I, I can see from a very young age, like I would look around my home and feel distressed that things weren't organized and you know, in place, which is the irony because as a child, my nickname was Messy Missy because I was such a messy kid. <laughs> and I'm the complete polar opposite of that now. Like, it's so funny. But, you know, it's also like tapping back into that version of me that gets like, it can be messy. It's okay to be messy. And I don't have to like freak out about it. But there's a lot of like, what drives me to want to make money is that I didn't have it growing up and it felt out of control. And so that flight response or, and that people pleasing response is so heavily rooted in those years of childhood. So I can see that now. Okay. So you also mentioned attachment styles. So can you talk a little bit about what those are? Cause that's been coming up a lot for me lately. I'm just noticing it more mainstream. People are talking about uh, relationship attachment styles. And I would imagine that those stem from a trauma response. Right. Right. And so attachment styles are more about mirroring, like your parents or primary caregivers ability to mirror you as a child. And so every child, every human develops their sense of self, their sense of self-esteem, self-confidence, who they are by the ability of a parent to mirror back to you. So a baby goes goo goo gaga, right? And a mom goes goo goo gaga. And then you could see yourself as a baby. But if you had a parent that was having their own trauma, disassociated, an alcoholic, whatever, just a parent that came from a family that wasn't emotionally connected or able to validate, then you start to have an attachment that's not healthy, right? Because the parent, the mirroring is the attachment. That is how we attach is by being seen, heard, validating. That's what intimacy and attachment are, right? And so when we didn't have that, we form these other kinds of attachments that aren't healthy. So there's anxious attachment. And that's, you know, when somebody is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Right? Because they they didn't have that validation, right? And then there's avoidant attachment, which are the people that are like scared of relationships, right? They're hiding, they go inside because they don't feel comfortable showing up, right? They probably had to hide in order to feel loved and connected because maybe the parent was overwhelmed already, right? Mm-hmm. And so Then there's ambivalent attachment, which is like you have a little bit of both, right? The avoidant and the anxious attachment. And with these attachment wounds, what happens is you repeat them over and over in every relationship, including, because I'm not just talking about relationships with humans, your relationship with work, your relationship with your dog, your relationship with life right? So how do you show up? Are you an avoidant? Are you an anxious? Like what is your style of attaching? And then in order to heal this stuff, you have to go in and start to mirror and validate and reparent yourself Mm -hmm. and start meeting those needs of yours that didn't get met as a child or like the avoidant will always seek that from outside, right? Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. always like, 
oh, can you validate me? Do you see me? And you know, that's like the anxious attachment. Sorry. The avoidant will just not deal with it. Mm. Right. So, oh, it'll be, they'll be hiding in the corner. Right. They won't want to have to deal with anything that feels emotional or like they have to get intimate. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. so these attachment wounds that we carry into our adulthood can make or shape the the relationships that we have with everything. And so when we come into healthy attachment, life just feels so much more connected. Like it feels like you are inside the life that you're living in a conscious and embodied way. Mm. That sounds so juicy. Like who doesn't want that, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. Now, you mentioned multiple types of relationships, like how these attachment styles and these um, trauma wounds can show up in different ways. And I want to talk about how this also shows up professionally. But one other question I had before we kind of dive into that is this idea of trauma bonding. And I know that this is another thing. So it sounds to me like what I'm hearing is you have this certain attachment style that's based on a specific trauma. So you probably attract another type of attachment style because you have similar trauma. So can you explain like, that's how I receive it. But can you talk a little bit more about what trauma bonding is and what you can do if you recognize that you're actually in a trauma bonding scenario? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So like the anxious and avoidant always get together in an unhealthy relationship, right? It's always like that pattern of like the mom who wasn't available and the kid that needs attention or the mom that was avoidant, right? And the, yes, same thing. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, when we get into that same wounding relationship that we had with our primary caregiver, when we see that we're repeating that over and over, and that we are one of those positions in the relationship that we have, we get to recognize it, right? And co-work on it with our partners, if they are willing to do what it takes to work into a healthy attachment style. Many couples will do that together and a lot of couples won't. And you will realize that this is not a healthy relationship that I'm in. And either my partner gets to work with me here to move towards healthier relationship and intimacy or this probably isn't the right person if I want to continue my journey of growth. And that, that phrase right there for me, when I was growing through my, like understanding my traumas and my triggers and my values, like you helped me so much to get clear on what my values were and communicate that to my partner and invite him into that conversation. And, you know, I think we place as a society so much um, validity on longevity in relationships. And just to what you just said is not every relationship is really meant to be long-term in that regard, because there has to be a willingness on both sides. And so not only do you do yourself a disservice by staying in a trauma bond, if you realize I have work to do, but you do the other person a disservice because it keeps them stuck too. Right. And it doesn't, it kind of just keeps you in this trigger cycle of like, we're just going to keep triggering each other over and over and over again. And no one ever gets anywhere. That's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting. And then you see a lot of like couples that have been together for 50 years and they like don't even talk or like they're just together because they're together. Right. And they've just learned Mm. to cohabitate. 
And so, like you said, we put so much value on longevity instead of, instead of health. Like we Mm -hmm. need to be looking at healthy relationships that can be sustainable and last a long time, because just because your relationship has lasted a long time, doesn't always mean it's healthy, right. And connected. Yes. And I feel like that was the thing that gave me the most permission to move through the guilt of like, Oh, but I said forever. And what if this, you know, how will this person survive without me is just knowing that like, yeah, every relationship ends at some point. Right. So let's talk about how this sort of idea of attachment styles and trauma responses leaks into the coaching world, because a lot of people that listen to the show are in network marketing, which is the perfect container for anybody who is codependent and has attachment styles, right? I've, I've learned that myself the hard way, but they're also coaches. And I know that you are such an advocate for coaches learning about trauma and these types of ways in which we co-create in relationships. Why is it important as a business owner or a coach or someone that is in a leadership role to have this awareness around how trauma shows up? Yeah, because it, again, if you don't, work on and heal your own trauma, you're going to create a dysfunctional system, uh, repeating the system of your family of origin, right? So if you haven't healed that attachment wound, right, say you're a leader, and you love when people just love you, right? But it's not, it's an idolization, not a love, not a true intimate love, because that's your trauma. And you've learned to seek that outside validation as a way to put a temporary fix on that wound, that attachment wound that you have inside. And so you could create really successful looking network marketing businesses or whatever coaching businesses where all your clients or downline is completely codependent on you, right? But is that a healthy system? Is the leader gonna end up with a dis-ease somewhere down the line? Yeah, most likely because it's not sustainable. That kind of system can grow, but what's the energy that's feeding the system? Is it a sustainable resource? So we look at like, you know, resources in the earth and what's sustainable. And we need to grow systems with that same level of sustainability And if they're fueled by the wrong energy, they're not actually healthy, sustainable systems in business or in your family and personal life. And if we're moving into a new paradigm where we want to create a healthier planet, a healthier society, right? Because look at where we're at now. And I don't know how I'm getting down this road, but let's just go here. Okay. For a sec. Because it's relevant, right? When we're looking at it on a bigger scale, what kind of energy do we want to fuel humanities, systems, communities, societies with? Mm -hmm. And this is where we get to look at, am I building this from a place of my trauma Mm -hmm. or am I building this from a place of health, right? Mm -hmm. Of real healthy attachment, which means Mm -hmm. you have this community, right? Or this downline or this, you know, coaching community that you've built where there is no idolization. There is no codependency. There is no um, need for some kind of wound to get covered up in order to keep the system flowing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I feel like the reasons why I even dove into this trauma work and really like personal development was twofold. One, I was in a container that I felt like I had to because I was married, right? So in the context of like marriage, my flight response <laughs> was put into this container of like, well, you can't run because you made this decision. So you got to look at it, right? But it was also my business. And I feel like your business will mirror back to you the places in which you have an opportunity to learn and to grow, you know? And for me, it started with money. Like, where is my relationship with money? And that is a trauma response for safety because I didn't feel safe. So the way that I felt safe was just make a lot of money and you don't ever have to rely on anybody, you know, and that's, that's, you can kind of like follow the breadcrumbs there. Right. But I do believe that your business will grow to the extent that you are willing to look at your blind spots. And I have so many network marketers that come to me and they're like, my team just won't do what I do. And I'm like, well, you're doing everything for them. Right. So what is that mirroring back to you? Like you will always attract what you are. And so if leaders aren't showing up a certain way or clients are being super needy or they're, you know, treating you a specific way, one, I think it's a boundary, like have, where, where has the boundary not been set? And two, like, what is that mirroring back to you for you to do your own work? And so I feel like to some extent, entrepreneurs kind of have a leg up when it comes to like figuring out their shit. Cause like your business is just going to keep mirroring it back to you. Like the areas that the areas that you need to grow. So I'm curious, kind of shifting back to relationships a little bit, like how do love languages play into this? Cause I was like, I did the love language quiz last night just for fun. And I know that people talk a lot about love languages, but are love languages actually a response of attachment styles and, and our trauma responses? Oh, that's a really good question. Let's, let's look at this for a minute. So our love languages, no, I kind of think they're, when we really are coming from a healed and secure place, we can look at our preferences because we each have, there are universal needs that each human has, right? The way that we get those needs met are going, going to be more preference and look different, right? So if I have a need for love, you have a need for love. We all have a need for love. But what does love, like how do I like to feel loved and give love is going to maybe look different than the way you do, right? And mm -hmm. so I think love languages are more like an expression of the need for love in different mm. forms, right? So yeah. it's like looking yeah. at your unique way that you like to give and receive, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was literally just thinking of it as we were talking because I'm reflecting back. I did the quiz last night and my primary love language is quality time. That's mine too. Acts of service <laughs> and physical touch. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would much rather have like time with someone than a gift or them just tell me what they think of me, but I'm reflecting back on like, what is the driver behind it? What didn't I receive? How did I not receive love when I was growing up? And how do I, like, what do I value? And I think quality time when I really, really feel into it, I feel like I didn't get that connect. I was seeking connection with mm -hmm. my parents, right. Or with my dad more specifically, like he was on drugs and numbed out and just not present. And that was his trauma. Right. So I'm wondering if part of my desire for that quality time is because I didn't get mm. it with him. And then, you know, acts of service, same thing. Like, I feel like I didn't get a lot of 
acts of service when I was growing up. And that was a driver for me to want to like buy my own stuff or, you know, make my own money and same thing, physical touch. Like I don't remember being a super like, a, like touchy feely, snuggly, lovey family. And that is a, pra- like, I will do anything for a hug. Like I love hugs, like hug me and never let me go. Right. So Aww. yeah, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I would be curious to see if there's any like correlation between the things that we didn't receive when we were younger, like that weren't mirrored back to us that we desire now, or maybe the flip side is also true. Like that's how we were like, to, to use your example of the mirroring with attachment styles of like, if that's how we were taught to receive love, then maybe that's how we receive it now. Yeah. And also like we, we crave different things because of our past, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing it from a, an unhealthy place, then it becomes an unhealthy way to connect. But when you're doing it from a place of, okay, I am equipped to give all of these things to myself and be safe and calm in myself because I have my needs met. And also this is the way that I really love to be loved, right? Mm -hmm. It's very different from, I need time. I need somebody to spend time with me because you don't feel safe in yourself. So Mm -hmm. there's the way that those love languages can play out from the wounded self or the healthy, securely attached self. And it's going to look really different. The energy around Mm -hmm. all of those are going to look different, right? So true. So true. And you just um, opened my eyes a little bit on something else too, that uh, something that has helped me heal through different relationships and come to a place of more groundedness in self-love is that redirecting all the energy that you put outward into another relationship or another person and kind of reclaiming that right and putting it back here and dating yourself right like give to yourself the things that you wish other people would give to you and so having done this like quality time with myself like what does that look like sitting in meditation and taking baths and like nurturing myself and then acts of service like doing nice things for myself buying myself flowers taking myself on vacations and then physical touch of course for me is a big deal because like when you're not tapped into your feminine and your sexual energy, physical touch probably feels really scary, but knowing that that's a love language of mine, like why do I have to look outward for someone else to validate the way that I want to be loved? So this is like my, my like light bulbs are going off right now. Right. Of how, like how powerful, even like understanding the trauma responses, the attachment styles, knowing your love language can be a way of, kind of dipping your toe. Maybe you're not ready to go in the deep end yet, but just having an awareness of, okay, I can start here, I think would be so helpful for people. So thank you for that. I just had yeah. Little... So my, the program <laughs> that I teach, the first three modules are trauma responses, attachment styles, and then we go through cognitive distortions. That's the other part. Like how did we learn to perceive the world in a distorted way because mm. of who we had to be in our family of origin. So what are the actual perceptions as well Mm. as the attachment wounding and Mm. the trauma responses? So when we have all those lenses, we get like a kind of clear blueprint of how we're operating from Mm. that wound. And then we can start to work with that. So powerful. So can you talk about this? This is your safe space program that you Mm -hmm. run. So can you talk a little bit more about what it is and, and who it's for? Yeah. So it's a six month program. It's right now I have all coaches in it. I love to invite coaches, yoga teachers, healers, helpers, people that are leading. So anybody that 
um, has some kind of leadership skills or helping or healing doing that work, it could benefit everybody though, to be really honest, any human like <laughs> can do this program. And it is a program where you're going deeply through looking at yourself through these lenses of dysfunction and how they show up in your own life, right? And then how to become more securely attached, have healthy attachments, all of that. So the first three months, you're going deeply into your own process work. And then the next three months, you're learning how to facilitate this process with other people so that you know what to do when you're working with people and deep emotions come up because deep emotions, when we're starting to take the lid off the pressure cooker, that's usually trauma that's coming up and needs to be worked with. And there's a really specific way that we need to learn to be with other people when they're having this process that is going to help create safety versus re-traumatization, which is so possible in that space. And as coaches, healers, this stuff is going to come up. I always say like, you can't separate mental health from coaching, right? When you're helping somebody expand in any area of their life, those traumas and emotions have to come up and move out to have space for the expansion. And mm -hmm. so knowing how to work with that, even if you don't want to work with trauma, Specifically, just having these basic tools and skill sets as a coach, as a healer, as a leader is going to help you be able to create community that is safe and sustainable and is really helping people to be a sovereign instead of codependent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like there is just in my own experience with coaching, like there is a fine line between coaching somebody, I guess, as a life coach or business coach and like stepping into psychotherapy, right? Because yeah, a lot of these things come up. And so you have to be able to discern between scope of practice, right? Is this, am I even qualified to have these types of conversations with someone? Or can I even hold space for this person that's having a reaction to a traumatic experience that may have happened 15 years ago, but it's happening right now. And I'll say you and I have done breath work together and breath work is something that has always been, I've been called to, but I've done it in spaces where I never felt safe and like in a room at an event with 500 women. And I always felt like this is irresponsible for people to take someone through this experience where there's a lot of trauma that comes up and then there isn't a support or container on the back end. So I love the fact that you're doing this work because I think it's so needed because I know the intention is love and light and purity. But if you don't know how to handle what's coming up on the other end for someone, and I have a pretty heightened sense of what this is. And I can only imagine for other people, like you can probably do more damage than good. Right. So I can see that this type of certification or the pro, even the program that you're running is so helpful for people to have that awareness so that they can really create the change that they wish to create for people and not, like you said, like re-traumatize them and make it even worse. Yeah. I don't think that coaches want to do that or leaders no. want to do that. I just think that the industry has been like a big runaway train and there's been no <laughs> real like psychological safety container. Mm -hmm. And that's like where my voices in this mm -hmm. industry. It's like, okay, I get that we want to 
create transformation. And we need to make sure that we're doing it in a really safe way, because if not, we're going to create a mess. And there's been a lot of messes created Mm -hmm. in the coaching industry, unfortunately. And a lot of people that have been re-traumatized and harmed just for lack of, of education and knowing what you're doing as a coach. And like you said, knowing when to refer out how to refer out what really your edges are like we have mm-hmm. to explore this stuff as healers and coaches and therapists because if we're not aware and that's what we do in my program we really explore our edges like mm-hmm. maybe i'm not meant to work with this population because i have an edge here and the more we could know ourselves and just own and be honest with ourselves, the more helpful we are in this society in this world right so true. And it's needed, right? I mean, we're going through this time in our life in this world right now where there is kind of this shift and an awakening and people are being triggered and traumatized for a reason. Like it's beautiful. But if you, like you said, very, to bring it kind of full circle, like if you're jumping in the deep end and you don't have the skill set or the tools, like then you're going to struggle. So find, find the skill set, find the tools, like people like you that are doing the work. And I'm so grateful for everything that you've been able to help me navigate through and the light that you shine. And like, again, everything that you embody and represent is so needed and so welcomed and seen. So thank you for all of all the things that you do. And you're welcome. I'm a huge fan. In, in all of the, in, in all of the healthy attachment ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Get off my chin. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But they're so nice. (laughs) I know. Um, I'm like everybody's mama, right? Yes, you are. I watch that too. Like my own, that mm -hmm. came from a wound in myself, like wanting to be everybody's mom and Mm -hmm. feeling needed. And so like detaching from that, it's like so unhealthy for me and my kids and all my clients. But it's interesting how like these things that we, it's so funny, people in my program are always like, my whole personality has been a trauma response. And I'm like, Yep. Yep. That's kind of the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're welcome for bringing that to light. Now you can go <laughs> do something about that. Right. And like, to your point, this whole idea, and you, you also helped me navigate through this difference between being needed and being wanted and like the need energy again, like feeds into the coaching industry. It's like the perfect container for someone who wants to feel needed, right? Because you get that feeling validated and the difference between being needed and wanted, even in relationships for me has been really powerful. That just that awareness of the difference and the energy between those two. So for those people that want to connect with you deeper and, you know, with your safe space program or one-to-one or just follow you, find you, how can they do that? Instagram, it's at safe trauma healing. And my website is also www safetraumahealing.com and Melissa Lapidus on Facebook. Yes, and you're amazing. Okay. So last question, and you can, you know, go as long as you want on this one. I always love to just give people full, full permission. What are you celebrating right now? Uh, I'm celebrating this level of peace that I have not reached until this point. And I'm just like relishing in I just moved to this new place in Orange County and I look out the windows and it's like trees and birds and the ocean. And like, I'm just, this feels like what I've been dreaming of. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm sitting in this dream and I just 
stare outside and like feel this level of peace in my soul. I'm so excited about. Hmm. That's such a beautiful place to be. And I can only imagine what you will create from that space. It's going to be such a beautiful ripple effect to see. So I honor you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for your light in this world and just being such a, like I said, a powerful example for me of like what's possible when you are truly embodied. I, I love and adore you. And if you guys love this episode, please share it with somebody who you think could use it. Tag Melissa, let us know what your greatest takeaway was. And until the next episode, live your boldly courageous life. Thank you so much for living your boldly courageous life with me today. I am beyond grateful for you and this amazing community we are building together. It's truly my mission to get this message out into the world and empower others to step fully into the life they've always dreamed of. I would be so incredibly grateful if you would join me in this mission by sharing this episode with your friends and heading over to iTunes to leave me a five-star review. And until the next episode, remember to live your boldly courageous life. Bye.